We're going to look at Numbers chapter 20 today. Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 2. Some of you don't read Numbers because you think it's just counting people. But there's a story in there around the counting. Now there was no water for the congregation and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. In modern day terms, this would read, there's no air condition in the church. We get upset over a lot less today. There was the, Now there was no water for the congregation. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness? That we should die here. Both we and our cattle. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. The glory of the Lord appeared around them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother. And tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Underline that word there, tell. Tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded them. Verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Moses is torqued. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. And these were the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with God, and through them he showed himself holy. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord, that it would change our lives. We pray, God, that as we look deep into your word today, that it would transform us, make us more like the people you've called us to be. Help us to do and be the people you've called us. We thank you for it, Lord. Transform us today by the watering of your word. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. If you look at the Exodus story, realize it's a, a remarkable story about God leading his people out of the bondage of Egypt Egyptian slavery, and into a place where he had planned for them to be, a land flowing with milk and honey, the Bible says. In modern day times, it would be a land flowing with McDonald's and Starbucks. So on their initial exodus out of Egypt, God did miraculous things, brought them to the edge of the promised land. Twelve spies go in. Twelve spies come out. 
Two of those 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb, say, man, we can do this. God is on our side. Let's go take it. Ten of the 12 say there's no way. They get the whole community riled up to the point where they don't want to obey God. So as a punishment for their disobedience, God causes them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until a whole generation of disbelieving people die off. Fast forward, we're now about 38 years or so past that initial exodus. They've been wandering in the wilderness. We're at a circumstance right now where there is no water. God has led them to a place where there's no water. And they are grumbling 38 years later at Moses and Aaron about not having any water. I want to propose to you this morning that what you complain about, your kids will complain about. If we, if we live lives that lack in faith, we're probably going to raise kids that think the same way. If we're always complaining about our circumstance, if we're always complaining about, God, why'd you do this to me? Why are we here? Why are we in this spot? Don't be surprised 38 years later when you hear your adult children say the same thing. So now we fast forward. Now there's no water. God had been providing miraculously for them through this whole scenario. And they're here and they have no water. But I think it's curious about the way they list the things that they want from God. Did you look at that? When they list the things that they want from God, they say things like this. They say, the place you've led us to, it is no place for grain or figs or vine or pomegranates. And then they add on at the end of it, and there's no water. Now, I don't know about you in a list of priorities. Water probably would have been before pomegranates for me. (laughs) Water would have come before pomegranates. I don't know about you, but I'm not waking up in the morning going, there's no pomegranates. It's an impossible fruit to eat. Like Beth and I have gotten them a couple times. Like, I don't even know what to do with that thing. You can't skin it. I don't even know. What do you Somebody tries to trick me into eating the seeds. I'm like, you never eat the seeds of anything else. They said there's no grain, no pomegranates, no vines. I find it fascinating that oftentimes we're not complaining about what we need. We're complaining about what we want. God makes promises to us. He says, I will supply all that you Need according to my riches and glory. He makes promises to, to us that we will never go without what we need. The thing that we as Christians have to remind ourselves is what we want comes out of what we need. So if you have a place with no water, forget pomegranates. You'll never get pomegranates without water. You'll never get grain without water. So let's reverse the order and say, Lord, we have no water. But we believe if you will provide us water, everything else would come with it. But what we do is we say, Lord, I I don't have this or I don't have that. And he's saying, I'm trying to provide for you what you need. And out of what you need will come what you want. So remember last week we talked about, we talked about adding self-discipline to your life. Watch how this works. If you would get up early in the morning and go to work, the car you want would be provided. But we pray about a car. When we really should be praying about God giving us water. God, give me self-discipline. Let me add self-discipline to my life. So when the alarm goes off, I can actually wake up. 
And I can go to work and earn a living. And then when I come home from earning a living, voila, I've got enough money to get a car. Sell that works, God, I don't have a car, I don't have a car. I'm trying to give you water. You're complaining about pomegranates. You put water at the end of the list. We want all these things. And this area is not provided. Oh, by the way, we need water. Can, can anyone tell me how long you can go without eating pomegranates? I'm pretty sure my whole life I can make it just fine and never put one of those things in my mouth. I can make it about three days with no water. Don't you think we should move what we need up the list a little bit? Don't, don't you think in our conversations with God, we should say, Lord, I need more self-discipline. I need those things we talked about last week. I need more goodness. I need more perseverance. These are things that I need. And what I want is oftentimes provided out of what I need. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these, what do you need to do? I need to seek out the kingdom of God and all that he has for me, all that I need from him. I need to seek him first, his ways first, his will for my life first. I need to take the example of Christ and say, not my will, but yours be done. I need to pray the Lord's prayer that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven through me. And Lord, I, I realize that when you give me what I need, it will produce ultimately what I want. Amen? What do I need? I need to be long-suffering with my spouse to produce the marriage that I want. I need to be understanding in my marriage so to produce the good things about marriage. Some of you guys still ain't figured it out. You're still trying to get what you want, not providing her what she needs. There ain't no men clapping right now. I can tell you that right now. First time in 10 years, spontaneous women all over the place going, oh! (laughs) What we want comes out of what we need. They got it wrong right from the very beginning. Why'd you bring us into this place? Matter of fact, you know what the crazy part was? There had been circumstances throughout this exodus, throughout this wilderness journey that the Israelites had quarreled against God and God had caused plagues to come on them. God had caused different circumstances. A lot of them died. They actually were saying, we wish we would have died with our people. Can you imagine getting to the place where you wish you weren't living versus just accepting what God had for you in the moment? I'd rather be back there being judged like all my other relatives were being judged than to actually listen to God now. How stubborn. It's no wonder they were labeled a stiff-necked people. It's no wonder. So often in our lives, we're begging God for what we want, and he's saying, it'll come out of what you need. I promise to provide you everything you need, according to my riches and glory, without limit. So if you will take the water that I'm offering you, the pomegranates will come. Just trust me in this. I think there's another thing that we need to look at here. Do you, you do realize not every season in your life is a harvest season, right? But we approach every season in our life as a harvest season. Oh, Lord, give me more. 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 And, and the Lord's like sometimes like, dude, you need to till the soil a little bit. You're trying to pull out what's not there. You're trying to harvest an apple tree that you haven't pruned. And it's not making the fruit you want. So, so the Israelites are like, hey, well, just give us more, give us more. He's like, this ain't a harvest season right now. 
I'm trying to teach you something that will last past this season of your life. He's trying to give us fruit that will last, not spoil. And so we do this with our kids, don't we? We try to teach them things that will last past second grade. Do your homework. That will last you forever. Be polite to your teacher. Don't shoot spitballs in class. Do they even do that anymore? It's probably digital spitballs. It's probably like... And then the guy across the room gets on his phone and is like, Oh, man. It's not as good. I remember I went to an elementary school that didn't have any walls. Whose idea was that? So they just had chalkboards. Man, those things were coming across three classrooms. Like... Some unexpected teacher, three classrooms over, some kids like, dunk. They put walls back in that classroom, by the way, in that school. Um, where was I? Sometimes we try to harvest in every season. And, um, and that was never God's intention for our life. They use, the Bible uses farming as an example for all kinds of stuff. You work while it's daylight. They didn't have lights on tractors back then. Work while you got the time to work. Make, take every advantage. To, so there's seasons of watering and planting. Planting and watering and cultivating. All these things. And then there comes a harvest season. But in our American version of Christianity, we think it's harvest all the time. Because Walmart's got tomatoes year round. So we just want to pull it and pull it and pull it. And instead of vesting and investing in a marriage, we just want what we want from it. We just want it in every season. I figured out there's seasons of your marriage that you walk through or seasons in relationship that you walk through that you can't actually get what you want. You're only going to get what you need. So stop trying to force your spouse to do stuff that they can't do in that season. Quiet. I'll move on. I'll move on. We'll get to that later. They start complaining. Moses goes before God. Moses and Aaron do the right thing. They go down, lay prostrate before God. They've been in this spot before. Actually, you know what the ironic thing is? They've been in this exact same scenario before, different place. Early on in the Exodus, Exodus chapter 17, I believe it is. Let me read this to you. It's like the exact same scenario, just a generation before. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from, a, from place to place as the Lord commanded. They were being led by the Lord. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Stop asking, the wrong, stop asking the wrong people to give you what they can't give you. Do you realize we would save so much time in our lives if our expectations were correct? If we looked at people and realized they could only give us so much that a lot of what we're trying to get from people could only come from God. And so when we try to expect from people what only God can give us, we get disappointed and we create relationships. Oh, well, they, they, they couldn't give me what I needed. That's because only God can give you what you need. 
And that's why I love sitting down in front of people who aren't married yet and saying, you better be a solid person before you get into this because they're going to ask you for things that you can't give them. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. Sooner or later, sooner or later, the expectation, you guys got to be solid because you're going to have to be able to say, I can't do that. Only God can do that. Let's turn to him. People are quarreling with Moses. Moses says, why are you quarreling with me? I don't make water. I can't, I, I, I've never made water. Why are you upset with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Same scenario. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, Who, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Moses going, this ain't my fault. The Lord was directing me. The Lord commanded me to take you here. I got nothing to do with this. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff to which you struck the Nile. <laughs> Being in church leadership, um, it's like getting ready to go into the board meeting and going, hey, you guys are coming with me. They're like, these people want to stone you, not us. <laughs> you're part of this. You're, you're coming with me. God says, take the elders. All the elders are like, no, <laughs> not today. No, Moses, you're the leader. We trust you. He's like, no, you're coming with me. <laughs> I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock. Now, wait a second, that's important there because I think that's different than Numbers chapter 20, isn't it? Because in Numbers chapter 20, can somebody remind me what he said? Speak to the rock, right? Okay, but, but here he says specifically to strike the rock. Same circumstance, different instructions. Did you get that? Same circumstance. Stiff-necked, ungrateful people, complaining that there's no water. They need water. Moses goes to the Lord and says, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do with these people. In this circumstance, God says, strike the rock. 38 years later, he says, speak to the rock. Remember that. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for all the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah. Well, that's familiar. Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Massa means testing and Meribah means quarreling. And you find out later that Moses named the other spot Meribah because of the quarreling. One of the dangers about your relationship with Christ and, and Him navig navigating our lives is that we oftentimes put circumstances on autopilot, don't it? It makes you more efficient, doesn't it? Makes you more efficient. So if I can automate something, I don't have to think about it anymore. So the only way that you can really automate something is you got to count on the parameters being the same every time for the automation to work. Right? Because automation doesn't really work when the parameters change. It's like, you, you can't really tell a computer, do this in this instance, and then do the same thing. No, if it's the same instance, do the same thing. 
So what happens is oftentimes in our lives, we get into a place where we start putting our relationship with God on autopilot. And we start analyzing the situation instead of hearing the voice of God. Let me explain this how, how it works. So, so I've been in this circumstance before. Here's how I responded last time, and it worked. So now I'm in this circumstance again. So I don't really need to listen to God closely. I can just do what I did last time. Well, you've never done that before. How many of you have ever disciplined your kids the same way for five years, only realize it didn't work? I'm going to beat the devil out of you if it takes till you're 30, right? No. No. So what we do is we get into autopilot with children. This is the way we discipline here. This is the way we discipline here. This is the way we discipline here. This is what I remember doing this at one point in time and realizing, wait, well, none of this working. So I could either stay on autopilot or I could go, maybe I need to change how I'm doing the discipline so that it fits the kid better. I need to get a wider belt or that's a joke. That's a joke. We need emails this week. The, the, so when we autopilot things in our lives, when it comes to our relationship with God, we just say, oh, I've heard that before. I've, I've done that before. I know how to respond to that. I don't even have to think about it. I just go out and strike the rock. The issue is God will tell you to speak to it in this circumstance and you've already made up your mind to strike it. God will oftentimes bring you back around to the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. You're like, man, I was here 20 years ago. I was here 10 years ago. I was here five years ago. The same thing. As long as we respond to it the same way, he brings us back around. Because it's not necessarily the circumstances he's trying to walk you through. He's trying to teach you something new every time you come to it. So if you just respond the same way, we may have to walk back around the field again to get to the same thing. So he can tell you, I need you to be a different way this time. Well, this is the way I respond to people who are mean to me. I'm going to walk you back around to that so that you can learn to respond differently. This is the way I respond to people when they attack. I'm going to walk you back around so you can learn how to respond differently. I, listen, you got to hear my voice here. You can't put it on autopilot. Yeah, I want you to speak to the rock, not strike it. But here's what I think happened. This is Chris's take on it, not the Bible's. So you can write this off if you want to. If you look right before this, Moses' sister had died. So they believe that this is probably the same sister who watched him float in the basket. It's the same sister who argued against Moses at one point in time and turned leprous. God ultimately healed her, but you can imagine how difficult that was for Moses. Same sister. She's dead now. And now Moses is at a place where everybody's complaining against him. I think his stress level is a little high. Can you imagine, can you imagine leading, being a reluctant volunteer into the service of the Lord? You go back to the, go back to the burning bush scenario. Moses wasn't like, pick me. He's like, dude, I can't do this. Yes, you can. Being a reluctant volunteer into the service of the Lord. To wander around the wilderness for 38 years, only to be brought back to the same place, the same scenario, the same circumstances, with the same complaining people only a generation later, have your sister die and be now face first before God going, what do I do? 
I think at some point in time, and you can know this by his response after he leaves the presence of God. There's times that I pray I've already made up my mind. I'm just praying for, for a cover. <laughs> I know you don't do that. You're genuine every time you pray. I've made up my mind and I'm like, Lord, I want you to bless what I'm already going to do. Because I'm going to do it anyway. So I think Moses was as mad as he's ever been. I think he flops himself down in front of the Lord with Aaron. What do you want us to do? I want you to go out and speak to the rock. All right, I got it. I got it. The Bible says he gets up, goes out. And he actually sounds angry when he starts talking to him. He doesn't sound like he just heard from the Lord. He sounds angry. He sounds like this. Hear now, you rebels. He doesn't say, everybody calm down. I just heard from God. We're going to get some water. No, he's, he's aggressive now. Hey, all you rebels, pay attention. You want me to provide you water? You see, there's a problem with where Moses is coming from right now. He's, he's actually pointing the pe- to the people and saying, do you want me to provide you water? When remember 38 years ago, remember 38 years ago, he was looking at the people going, what do I got to do with water? I can't do any of this. Now, in his anger, he's saying, you bunch of rebels, it's been 38 years, you're still doing what your parents done. And now you want me, you want me to give you water? All right, I'll give you water. And he picks up his staff and he strikes a rock, not once, but twice. You know what's amazing is that you can do the wrong thing and get the right results. You see it at your work. You see it at your family sometimes. I can, I can bring my kids to church and make them sit on the front row. And I can scare them into looking obedient on Sunday morning. Some of you do that to your kids. You're like, you keep your mouth shut when we're in church. I can manipulate my wife into, into looking happy on Sunday morning. Some of you do that. I can do the wrong thing and get the right results and you won't know any different. Because oftentimes in our society, we only measure things by success. We only measure things by the way they look, not how we got there. But in God's eyes, the ends don't justify the means. He tells us that obedience is actually better than sacrifice. Lord, I walked out there with these, with these complaining people. And I know I didn't do it exactly the way you wanted to, but they got water anyway. Now you just got to like it today because I'm mad. I'm mad about my circumstance. I'm mad about my sister died. I'm mad these people are still complaining after all this time. I'm mad I'm not in the promised land yet. I'm mad. I'm upset. These rebels that you've given me and I'm giving them water today. I know it's not exactly the way you wanted, but I got the same results. And so oftentimes... That's the path we're taking in our life. 
We justify the way we get there because of where we got to. And so I can manipulate my kids into doing what I want and not being a loving father. So it looks to you like they're successful, like I'm a great dad, but you don't see me at home. This is all hypothetical. (laughs) Here's the issue. As soon as the kids are out from under my control, they'll do what they want to. And so how I got them to do what I wanted them to do will then be the way they get other people to do what they want them to do. And so how I get water at the beginning complaining about Moses will be how I get water at the end complaining about Moses. Think about it. Think about the people. They complained about God and got water at the beginning. What lesson? Well, we compl- 38 years later, I'm complaining again. God's going to give me something. So oftentimes we overlook the way we're getting success in our lives. And, and some of you are working in that environment where you see a boss manipulating people over and over and over. But when the report prints out, it looks good. And they go, well, man, he gets results. Yeah, but he gets results at the cost of other people. He gets results at, at, at the cost of, of, of manipulating and, 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 and hurting other people. Yeah, but he gets the results. The ends never justify the means. So God is very specific. Now here's what we do. We play semantics with God. Strike, speak, I mean it almost sounds the same. And that... The devil is really good. Satan is really good at getting us to play that game. Matter of fact, it started all the way back at the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. You remember? Remember the little word game Satan played with Eve? He didn't try that on Adam. That's a joke. Settle down. It's a joke. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God really say? Did God really say? I think most of the struggle in our lives is figuring out what God really said. Did he really say I have to love him through this? Did he really say I have to love her through this? Did he really say I have to persevere through this? Did he really say I couldn't give up? Did he really say he would reward me? Did he really say? And every time we face a... A, a, a seemingly same circumstance, we, we want to come at it the same way. And God's saying, wait, 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 I told you to operate differently today. Did he really say that? It'd be much easier just to strike the rock instead of speaking to it. I've already done this before. God, just leave me alone. I've done this before. I don't need you to tell me a different way to do it now. But I'm trying to show you something new. So, so let me talk about a couple of different contexts. All right, watch this. So all through the Old Testament, as far as generosity, I don't talk about money very often, but it's really important. The Bible says in the Old Testament that if we trust God in the tithe, that he will open the storehouse of heaven and pour out a blessing that we cannot contain. Now, I know some of you read the Bible and you read the New Testament and you say, Jesus doesn't say anything about tithe. <laughs> Free and clear. But I painted the picture before that I believe the tithe is like, anybody remember getting an old computer and you had a floppy disk and on the, on the package on the floppy disk, it would say minimum operating requirement, Pentium 2. 
Anybody old enough to remember those things? Pay him two, and you're like, man, I barely made it, but we're playing games tonight, baby. This is awesome. This is awesome. We got just enough computing power here. So I look at it. Tithe, 10%, was the Old Testament. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Old Testament, but he built on it. He fulfilled it. So then you don't hear 10% language anymore. You hear you reap what you sow. The measure that you give will be the measure given. And now all of a sudden ramps it up. What is required of us? Trust in the Lord. What does Paul say? Be generous on every occasion. And he will provide all that you need to be generous every time. And matter of fact, he'll provide in abundance. So my window into abundance is through generosity. So if I get hung up on a minimum operating requirement, then I miss out on abundance. Everybody understand? So here's what happens. The devil starts playing word games with us. Well, look, man, he doesn't say 10% in the New Testament. It's not specific. So it's okay. Whatever is fine. It doesn't matter. I made a comment in here one day. Um, you know, a tithe is 10%. Tithe means 10%, right? Everybody agree with that? And I, so I said, uh, 2% is a deuce, not a tithe. 2% is a deuce, not a tithe. But the devil will make us play word games with God. Did you really mean that? Did you really mean that? Did you really mean that? And so at a point when God is telling us to speak, we strike. And we miss the blessing of God because we weren't listening intently enough. And the devil was whispering in the other ear going, I don't think that's really what you heard. And we live lives where we're so frustrated about our circumstances that we've already predetermined what we're, how we're going to respond. So when we come to God, we're just asking for his approval about the decision we've already made. So Moses comes, he's angry about, he, he's upset about Miriam dying. He's angry about the people revolting. You rebels want water, I'll give you water. And you see where he's going with this. He doesn't even mention God's supply. I'll give you water. I think he already made up his mind. He's playing word games with God. He said, speak, I'm going to strike. It'll be the same thing. I've been here before I've done this. You can get the right thing. By doing it the wrong way. And our society's full of it. That's why it matters how we operate during the week. That's how it matters how we operate at home with our children and with our wives and family. It's how we, it matters how we operate in the office. It matters how we operate because one day people are going to realize I got the results and I did it all the wrong way. And while it looks right, it's not something God can bless. And so at face value, this scripture looks ridiculous, doesn't it? This guy served you 38 years. He's been through all this craziness. You've sustained his life. And now you won't let him go into the promised land over this? God said, I can't let you go any further because you can't trust me. I can't let you go any further because this, this was a big deal. Now watch this. You start to realize this wasn't about Moses. This is what God was trying to teach the people through Moses. It's important to listen because God's going to be specific with you. And when he's specific with you, you need to do exactly what he says. He was trying to teach the people that. 
And Moses said, I'm going to do it my way. They're going to think it came from me. And God said, you can't fight me for this position. You can't fight me for this position. I'm in charge here, bro. I'm in charge here. And I don't know about you, but I've had a bunch of wrestling matches in my life with who is in charge. Amen? Come on. You might have woke up this morning and went, God, I'm feeling kind of good today. He's like, you ain't in charge. Don't forget. Don't forget you're not in charge. So oftentimes God's walking us back around the same circle. You're like, I've been in this circumstance that seems like forever. And maybe he's just trying to teach somebody else through you. And so it's so important that we do the right thing to get the right results because it ultimately might not be about you, but he might be trying to teach your kids. He might be trying to teach your neighbors. He might be trying to teach your boss. He might be trying to teach the person at Walmart. You don't know who he's trying to teach. But then when we break it and do what we want to do instead, the lesson goes away. And we're just reinforcing that same old thing Satan told Eve. Does it really matter? If you get the result you want, does it really matter? And we find out overwhelmingly, yes, it does. It matters. So my prayer for you this morning is that as a church, as a family, as individuals, that we would figure out, I'm going to do it his way. I'm going to lay on my face and I'm going to get over this anger. I'm going to get over this fretting about the situation. I'm going to lay on my face and I'm going to hear from God. And I'm going to listen intently to what he says. I'm going to make sure he said, speak. Because I don't want to mistake it for strike. I don't want to just come at this situation like I already know what's going on. I want to make sure I hear from God and not just react. Not just react. And not just react. If the band could come, I'm going to end with this. Let, let, me, let me say it like this. The way you act, the way you did this 10 years ago was right. If you do that same thing today, it's going to be wrong. Boy, isn't that frustrating. The way I did it 10 years ago could have been exactly what God told me to do. If I just repeat that process today, it could be exactly opposite of what God told me to do. Now, here's the, here's the thing that I found out in my marriage. That if I put it on autopilot and I do the same thing for 10 years, I'm going to get the same thing for 10 years. And I don't know about you, but that gets boring real quick. Allow God to say something new to you and listen to it. Allow God today to change it up a little bit. I know you've been striking that rock. I just want you to speak to it. I want people to see that it's different today. I want people to see a different part of my power today. I want people to see a different part of my goodness today. I want people to see a different part of my grace today. And so I need you to operate differently. I need you not to just to do the canned response. I need you just not to do something you know would work 10 years. I need you to do something new. I need you to speak to the rock, not strike it. What if he would have just gotten up and done what he said? Moses wouldn't have died on a mountain overlooking. He'd have been walking in. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to, I don't want to get to the end of my life overlooking what could have been. I want to get to the end of my life enjoying what God has done. Amen. So when he says speak, speak to it. If he says strike it, hit it, man. If he says give, give. 
If he says have grace, have grace. If he says have mercy, have mercy. If he says, if he says help somebody, help somebody. Do you really mean that today, Lord? Yeah, that's why I said it. That's why I said it. Let's do the right thing. Let's, let's lay down before God and listen to his voice. And do the right thing and get the right results. Amen? Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for a wonderful image that you're teaching us today. Lord, we want to do the right thing. We want to hear your voice and do the right thing. We don't want to just do what we did before. God, we want to make sure we're in your will this morning. We want to make sure our relationships, we're doing the right thing. We want to make sure we're pouring the right things into them, God. And we pray, Lord, that as we do the right thing, that the right results would come back. We pray that as we're generous, as we're caring, as we're kind, Lord, as we persevere, Lord, I pray that by doing the right thing, the right results would come. I pray that there never be a question in our lives whether the right thing was done. God, I pray that you build faith in us. As we stop at these places with no water, I pray, Lord, that you build faith in us to trust you for what we need. And God, out of what we need will come what we want. We thank you for it this morning. Lord, I make a special prayer. If there's anyone in this building today that has never accepted you as their Savior, I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't try to get eternal life any other way. It's impossible. You're the only name by which men can be saved. The name of Jesus. I pray this morning that they would accept your free gift of eternal life. What you did on the cross for them, they repent of their sins. Lord, you'd forgive them this morning. They experience peace that passes all understanding. I pray that that transformation would take place right now in the name of Jesus. To your glory and your honor. Do it the right way and get the right results. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, could you praise him one more time this morning? He's good.